You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Loves each other and will work through difficulties and will work through things that are not working well, things that are kind of broken. Um, thank you for being a church that talks to each other and doesn't just write each other off and walk away. Like, that's what a family does, is we have conversations with each other. We're, we're supposed to be a place of grace and of love and of truth and of justice and of mercy, right? That We're not supposed to be a place of no conflict or a place of no issues or a place with no suffering or a place with no heartache, right? The only way you see grace and love and joy and hope and forgiveness and all that stuff is if you're in the midst of conflict and difficulty. And so just thank you for sharing that stuff and being real with each other. I don't know if I thank you enough for that. This place is a pretty special place. And uh, and I'm very aware of that. And it's special because God has drawn you to it. All messed up you. Yep, that's right. And messed up person next to you. Drawn you to it. And uh, that makes this place a beautiful place. So I just want to say thank you for that. <clears throat> all right, we are going to be in the Psalms today, Psalm 77. We've been walking through the Psalms every single week. Uh, it, I've, I've told, told you this for a little while, that I've been scared of the Psalms. I have not preached through the Psalms ever in 16 years of ministry because uh, I don't get them. They're all emotional. and bleh, bleh. Let's talk about our feelings. Right? But, uh, but I actually have learned, as we've been preaching through them, that I've really learned to love them. Um, they have been really fantastic to study through, to look at, to to be studied by, um, to look at them almost like looking into a mirror and going, "Okay, um, is that me?" And it's been it's been tough in some cases. It's been tough. Uh, today, I want to start off by asking you guys a question. I was going to pull some kids up here, and I was going to uh, interview some kids because what's more thrilling than interviewing kids? Um, or more like uh, eight seconds of a rodeo, right? Like grab the kids and you ask them some questions. You never know what's going to come out of their mouth. But um, because uh, I know that the rest of you guys are really childish, I'm going to ask you questions. So uh, Psalm 77 talks a little bit about uh, about a concept I want to introduce by asking you, who here was afraid of the dark as a kid? Raise your hand if you were afraid of the dark as a kid. Okay. Those of you who have your hand raised, this applies to you. You don't have to keep your hand up, that's fine, because especially like your middle school boys, just put those down. Um, okay, so the, those of you who are afraid of the dark, why? Why were you afraid of the dark? What made it so fearful? Think about that for a second. What made it so fearful? And I'm not meaning this philosophically or theologically, I mean it real simply. Why, why were you so afraid of the dark? Go ahead, Isaac. My own imagination was Your own imagination was a terrible tool against you. Okay, that sounds like a very adult summation of that. No, simple. What, when you were there, what was it about your imagination? Big, scary, evil creatures wanting to eat me. Big, scary, evil creatures wanting to eat me. Tina, what? Just the unknown. Really? It was the unknown? It was just like, I'm terrified because I don't know what's outside of my three-foot circle right now? That, 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 I mean, seriously. Outside in general. Oh, like the dark outside. It was like, stay inside because there's lights here. And I, oh, okay. I didn't... I was... Yeah, see, I was with Isaac, just so you know, so it's fine. Okay, what about the rest of you? Go ahead, Matt. Uh, I watched a lot of animal documentaries growing up, and so it's like, <laughs> scary bugs and snakes and scorpions and lions. Yeah, yeah, and everything had night vision goggles, right? So they got you, so your parents got you a pair of night vision goggles to try to help that, but that's worse. I'm just kidding. So go ahead, Ray and Sally. Ray, you had fear in Canada? 
thought they exported that to the United States. That's why you guys are so dark hard. out there. Oh, it's dark out there. Yeah, for most of the oh, year. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Um, <laughs> it says, "Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour." Did your parents read that to you every night? <laughs> they did? Good Nazarene church, right? Uh, no. No. Okay. Yeah. Believe it or not, I did have roots in a Baptist church. Oh, that makes more sense, actually, in a Baptist church. Yeah, that was my upbringing, too. Right? Be careful. The devil's prowling around right outside your bed. Make sure you say your prayers. Ask for forgiveness and repent. Okay, go ahead, Graydon. Um, what my imagination conjured via my books that I read. Oh, books, influence, uh huh. Reading's bad, kids, don't do it. I think that's the message he's talking about. <laughs> Go ahead, Will. Yeah. Yep. So there's some interpretation of what's actually happening outside the windows. Yep. That's terrifying. Jonas. I was afraid of the dark because I always assumed there was a murderer outside the window. Because my window looks like it's a horror movie. And everything's missing except for the murderer. Yeah. Yeah. Don't move to the west side of town, people. It's scary on the west side of town. Okay, go ahead, Will. Aliens. Aliens, really? Yep. Are you sure? Really? Oh, That's yeah. what you were scared of in the dark? I was, I was. The way my bed was positioned, I could just see down the dark hallway because left the door open at night for the dog. Uh huh. And I was just waiting for them to come out of the dark hallway and take me. <laughs> Did you know this? I didn't know he was afraid of aliens, I didn't know. You didn't know where it came from? Yeah. Wow, okay. That's a, you just you guys just watched a young relationship, you know, they're only a little while in marriage. This is what just happened. She just found out something new about her husband. That's precious. Um, okay. <laughs> now you know exactly how to terrify him, just so you know. I just want to throw that out there, okay? <laughs> Especially around Halloween, right? Like stuff an alien I'm gonna walk through. Okay. Anybody else got something to share? Yes, go ahead. Is that is that Luke? Hi, Luke. What are you scared of, buddy? Because you can't see. Great. That is an awesome answer. Good job. That's an awesome... That's... Right? Now, if you kind of boil that answer back, right? I mean, this is kind of what happens is you can't see your imagination plays tricks on you or whatever. Um, I don't know if you know this about the human mind, but the human mind, when it's deprived of things that are normally sensory inputs, it will actually put the inputs into your thinking. Like if you... If, there's, if it's dead silence... Your brain can't take that for very long, and it starts to speak to you a little bit louder. It actually, you begin to hear audibly things. Same thing visually. If you don't have visual stimulation, you will get phantom lights. You'll get all kinds of different stuff. So your imagination is really powerful. Your brain's trying to fill in what's normally sensory input. Okay, so that's a pretty fascinating thing, all in and of itself. But additionally, right? Like part of it is we don't we don't have control in the dark. You don't have control in the dark. You don't have control of what's out there. You don't know what's out there anymore. And you're left going, my, how little, how little I can control. And that equals some anxiety, some fear, and so on and so forth. And your brain tries to help you with that. And your soul tries to help you with that. Now, I was afraid of the dark as a kid. And I had good reason to be afraid of the dark. There was a monster in my closet. I don't know if you knew that or not. His name was George. 
the monster would the monster would make sure that as I uh, the way this worked is the monster would make sure that as I entered the bedroom, the ceiling light would be out, and I would turn the light switch on, and there would be nothing. And so then there was this creepy clown like uh, clown baby music box light next to my bed, lamp next to my bed. And so I'd have to go feeling my way into the bedroom just by the light of the hallway in order to click the light on. And as soon as I clicked the light on, well, as I was walking through, what would happen is the door would shut behind me, and then I'd jump on my bed in fear, not able to find the light. And what would happen is the monster would then start making his way up the, uh, making his way up the portal, because obviously my, my closet was a portal to another dimension, right? So he'd start making his way up the portal, and I could hear him coming up the stairs in this light like glowing out from under the closet. And then I would go, Mom, Dad... And then, like, they didn't hear me because what's wrong with them, right? And they'd be like, Mom, Dad! And then they'd be Mom, Dad! Right? And they just instantly scream out. And this would happen, like, every two, maybe three days until I was 40. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Actually, strangely enough, until I was about 13. And then I did a report. And 13 years old is a long time to be having these dreams, right? Um, but I, I'm a fairly imaginative guy. I had a fairly overactive imagination. But then I read a book on something called Lucid Dreaming. And I told a lot that you, this weird psychologist who probably should not have been in my school library, right? Like he said, oh, yeah, you can just control your dreams with enough practice. You just got to tell yourself your dream self to go do stuff. And then and actually, a few weeks later, I had this dream where I went down into the portal and I brokered a deal with Monster Named George. <laughs> I kid you not, all right? Now, this is, this is what happened, okay? I, I commanded myself in my dream to go do this, and I never had the nightmare again. Literally, like, never again from that moment on, okay? Now, I'm not saying that that's a, there's a whole lot of weird stuff that's probably going on there. Who knows? I might be insane. I'm not quite, not quite sure. But, but what happened is I learned that as I've grown up, that there truly is a lot of reason to be afraid in the dark. Um, but I've also learned that grown-up darkness is a little different than kid darkness. Yeah. Grown-up darkness is a little bit different. Today, we find out in the Psalms that uh, we find out what grown-up darkness is like. We find out what grown-up darkness looks like. And we find out particularly what we do in grown-up darkness. Grown-up darkness is different than kid darkness, uh, but yet it is very similar. Part of it's when things are ripped from us where all of a sudden we don't have control anymore. That's what grown-up darkness is. If you can think of, if you can use your empathy right now to Jesse and Vanessa, right? And, uh, Kay, this might be really fresh for you. Some of you others, this might be really fresh for you to hear a doctor say, it's bad. That's when the grown-up darkness settles in because all of a sudden you go... Ooh, what, what, what? What's coming next? Where, where am I going? Who am I? What's happening? That's grown-up darkness. And I love the Psalms because they, they tackle grown-up darkness in a very, very, very clear way. So we're going to read Psalm 77 and try to get some perspective from the Psalms. <laughs> what happens when you get some perspective from the Psalms? We call that... Some spectres. <laughs> uh, Jake's dying on the inside. 
Ah, yes, I was waiting for that. Man, that was so good, such a good setup. Okay, so Psalm Spectives, here we go. Some of the things that we can get perspectives from the Psalms, you have to know Psalms are poems or songs that are written, oh, about 3,000 years ago, something like that, you know, a little bit less than 3,000 years ago, um, under just under 3,000 years ago. Psalms are, or songs or poems that are written thousands of years ago. They're, uh, they're an ancient Hebrew prayer language. Um, we get our prayer language from listening to other people pray. Um, you know, like you will say certain things. We will say uh, like uh, uh, Ray's kind of a thesaurus prayer. He says things like lead, guide, direct all the time when he prays because he, he grew up with that. Like he got that from probably his father is what I would guess. It's a Baptist thing, right? And so we pick up these things. Some people say just a lot in their prayers or whatever, right? Like um, we pick or, or say the word Lord God over and over and over again. Now, I'm not to make fun of that. I'm not going to, I don't want to, but if we actually stop and think about it, do we talk to anybody else that way? I don't talk to Laura. I'm like, Laura, hi, Laura. It's really, really good, Laura, to see you, Laura. I hope, Laura, someday that, Laura, we can sit down, Laura, and have some dinner, Laura. Right? Like, she would smack me with that. But somehow we picked up a prayer language, okay? And this is the Hebrew prayer language these psalms are. Um, They're also this practical form of daily worship. The psalms were something that the Hebrew people, they centered around each and every day. And we we probably would do well to do the same. To look at these things each and every day and at least have one psalm that we read or one psalm we remember. Um, They're also this, most of them are written by David, many of them are written by David, and they are kind of like the standard for a king who worships. And so then we see Jesus come in as the fulfillment of David and we see him see, we see him as the king who worships as well. And that's pretty powerful considering what we're going to read today. And then the final thing is you always have to remember that these are actually intended to give you feelings. They're intended to bring out a feeling. And so the feeling actually is the most important part of these. They're poetic language. We actually can run into a lot of trouble uh, delving into these for some really hard, firm, like theological principles and formulas. That's not really what they're about. They're about the feeling and then the response of God's character and the feeling we have to God's character. And so that's the best way to interpret these if you're into hermeneutics or, or whatever other ticks you can find. Um, but uh, one of the most interesting part of the Psalms is a word that appears nowhere else except for Habakkuk, and that's the word Selah. And so what we did was uh, Nick and I decided we're going to sit down and pick out some psalms. We're like, how do you pick out some psalms out of 150 of them? Oh, I know. We're going to do the ones with all the selahs in it. So we're picking the psalms that have three or more selahs in them. And this word selah is really difficult to understand. People don't really know what it means. It can either mean to just praise or to lift something up or to stop and to be silent. Some people think it's a musical, like a rest in a in a music, uh, in a piece of music. But I think it actually has to do with something where we stop stop and we weigh what was said. We stop right there and we think, oh, okay, let me hang that in the balance. Let me weigh that in the balance and see what happens. And so I want you thinking about that stuff as we jump into Psalm 77. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we're going to unpack it chunk by chunk today. So Psalm 77, here we go. I'm reading from the NIV, uh, if you're curious. For the director of music, and then many other translations would say, according to Jediathan, in the style of Jediathan, uh, NIV says for Jediathan. I don't actually like that translation. I actually think, I, I would agree with these guys that this is actually a tune that's thrown out there. Of Asaph, a psalm. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. See that adult dark right there? I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. 
I mused and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? And then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What good, excuse me, what God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm and your outstretched, excuse me, with your mighty arm, you redeemed people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down rain. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Oh, excuse me, and Aaron. (laughs) By the way, where is Aaron? Welcome back. For a day or two. Yeah, two. Really good to see you. It was good to hang out with Aaron last night. I got to do a wedding for Becky and Clayton. I did not get to see Aaron dance. I would have loved to have actually taken some video and then played that this morning. But I thought about that after I was down the highway already. So I wasn't turning back to go to Murdo Draper. Um, okay, um, so this psalm, all right, this psalm is a particularly dark psalm. It's a particularly difficult psalm. And it's got a particular order to it. And what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about what does your soul do? What does your heart do? What does your mind do? What does your life do when you run into adult darkness? Now, in verses 1 through 3 is this first stop, right? This first stop is the place where there's actually this darkness. And our first stop happens to be pain. And that's, unfortunately, the the reality of growing up is what happens when you finally grow up into your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. What do you increase in? Pain. And all God's people said, woohoo. The reality of of our world, the reality of our bodies, the reality of the sinful world is pain. Increasing pain, actually, as you grow older. Although it's interesting, um, (laughs) listening for the last two or three weeks, uh, Hunter and Tina's boy has run up to me. He's like, look at my finger! And he's always got a band-aid around his finger. What do you guys do to that kid? (laughs) And uh, you would think, man, it was like something fell off. It was awesome. But this first stop here in the psalm after the, this, uh, after this, this, this first section is pain and true adult darkness. This, this kind of darkness is a place where we just kind of feel lost and you can read it in here, right? Like, in the dark I stretch out my hands and there is no, there is nothing satisfying. I'm refusing to be comforted. I remember you and I groan and I, I, I mourn. My spirit grows faint. See, this is a place where you fumble around in life and all of your sureties, all of your, your self-confidence, it's zapped right from you. You're at this place where, like we talked about before, you hear either, man, it's not good, or you need to get down here right away, or I can't tell you what just happened, or we need to have a talk. 
Usually this is a place that comes as the result of a, a trigger or event, and it can also be a kind of a, a dark like malaise that settles over your life. It gets blanketed over your life. But no matter how you got there, this is where you're at. You're in the darkness. You're in pain. Most of us have experienced this. Most of you have experienced this. Um, it is painful. It is painful. It is not something you can diagnose. It is not something, even though the trigger may be a diagnosis that you received, the pain that we're talking about in this psalm is not one that you can have an x-ray or an MRI and figure out where it's coming from. Because it's a soul pain. It's a soul pain. It's a pain that comes from somewhere that's incredibly real, but can't be measured. This soul pain shows us that the soul is a very real thing, of course. It's a pain that makes you cry out. It's a pain that can help you to lose sleep. You can lie awake at night. You're just bothered and anxious and angry and frustrated and sad and even sometimes joyful. And the confusion just muddles you all up until you're just sitting there at night stewing. Soul pain will almost always lead you down a path. It never, ever, ever just stops at soul pain like, oh, I've got some soul pain. Let me just sit in that for a while, right? It doesn't just stop there. It is a directional sort of pain. See, that's us us humans, except for men, you know, of course. Pain should run you to the doctor, right? For guys who are like, I got this pain. I'm just going to deal with it until I die. You think that's manly. Amen. soul pain will almost always lead you down a path and I think the path that it leads you down to I think the next stop and this psalm kind of indicates that is the next stop would be introspection introspection it's a, a diversion away from something that's happening out there the trigger that caused the pain and it turns it in and it turns it inside and says what's going on in here in here you see this in verses 4 through 6 right like he steps in and he goes um, I lost my spot he steps in in 4 through 6 and says you kept my eyes from closing I was too troubled to speak I thought about right I thought internally about former days in the years long ago and he's running out this entire timeline and he's saying I'm remembering my songs in the night. And he's drawn back into this history, drawn back into introspection, and then it even comes out in all of these questions. Now these questions are not faithful questions. They're not the, will the Lord reject forever? Of course not. No, these are coming from a real place of pain going, a real place of pain going, oh man, will the Lord reject me forever right now? Will he never, ever show his favor to me again? Has his, has his unfailing love vanished me forever? Have, has, he, has his promise failed me? Has God forgotten to be merciful to me? Has he in anger withheld his compassion for me? Those are some real questions. Some real questions. See, this next little chunk again is... It's just breathtaking because of how real it is. This author, Asaph, there's this, he does this phenomenal job kind of listing out the questions that you and I go through when we run into this soul pain, this super dark place. We look around for hints and clues and little nuggets asking ourselves questions like, will God remain quiet forever? Will, will, will God always feel far away from me? What did I do wrong, God? Why are you not listening to me, right? Like, that's an introspection thing. We're looking over our own lives going, well, Will you ever answer my prayers? What we're doing is we're doing theology. We're doing theology. And the danger is an introspection. You can do theology without a whole lot of heart in this introspective phase. 
Introspection is natural. It's, it's a natural reaction to things that are going on. It, it's very human, right? Like we can time travel in our brains. You can take yourself and you can put yourself back into that place where you were afraid in the dark in your bed all alone. Or you can put yourself even forward going, this is what my life is going to look like in, you know, five hours or something like that. We can time travel in our brains. Introspection is very natural. It's the way that God has placed you. It's the way He's built you. But the challenging part and the dangerous part of introspection, if you stop there, if you stop and you just look in for truth and you look in for answers and you look in for your feelings, where are you going to go? All over the place. Why? What happens inside of you? It changes with almost every breath. One day you'll be lost and... The next minute you'll be found, and the next minute you'll be hopeless, and the next minute you'll be happy, and the next minute you'll be joyful, and the next minute you'll be hungry, and like you're all over the place, right? That's human nature. We're all over the place. So introspection can be incredibly difficult if we don't have some sort of heart, some sort of directive to our introspection. Introspection without heart, theology with heart is the path towards Depression and cynicism and anger and bitterness and eventually an anger at God that will freeze your faith. Will freeze your faith and it will kill it. Because what is introspection when you're in the dark? It's looking at the dark. It's looking at the dark, analyzing the dark, going, okay, how dark is it right now? How dark is dark? Oh, it's dark out there. Let's measure that dark. That's what introspection is, is this, this, this idea of in our soul, in our soul pain, looking around and going, that pain is painful. Let's measure how painful that pain really is. But introspection done correctly, introspection done like this psalmist is talking about, right? He raises these questions, but then what do you see happen in verse 10? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Most High. He commands his thinking away from this introspective nature and commands his thinking to something we would normally call truth, but in a kind of a post-truth world, we're just going to call this experience, right? He commands himself to experience either somebody else's experience or his very own. And he brings himself to a place of having to make a choice. Having to make a choice. It's like this fork in the road, right? I can actually put one in your little thing. You can draw little doodles or put little guys in there skipping or whatever, right? Like Or aliens if you want to freak Will out. Um, so there's this path that's there. And God, God makes us this way, right? This pain leads us inside. We start looking at introspectively things. But our job, our, our choice, our powerful, God-ordained, God-given choice is to step in and say, Know my soul. Let's go this way. Because really you're faced with this fork in the road. What this pain, what this introspection does, it it brings you to a precipice where you have to go, okay, either the darkness is as dark as I think it is, or there's some sort of hope through the darkness. And, And one side of this is a path of difficulty. It's a path that looks like like it's really, really hard. And then there's a path that looks really, really comforting. And generally speaking, in our own way of thinking, those paths are really, really confusing because we don't want to take the hard one. We do want to take the comforting one. But you know this, right? Like These are Jesus' words. The path towards life is hard and narrow and very few travel it. But the path towards death is, 
easy. It's wide. It's the one that everybody takes. It's the one that looks easy. And so this is what happens. This introspection brings you to a choice. And we get the choice to go, okay, either I'm going to, man, it's really, really easy to measure the darkness. I'm just going to keep going that way. Keep introspecting. Keep measuring the darkness. Keep looking at the failings and the faults of God. Keep looking at that. Or I'm going to choose to say, oh, my soul, please look at the glory and the goodness and the beauty of God and what He has done. The path that promises soothing now, the path that promises you just to, to look at it and go, yeah, man, we're just going to stay in the darkness. That's the path that the devil kind of holds out and says, look at this path is easy. You're already in pain. Take the easy way out. Self-medicate. Forget. Just, just don't think about it. Don't look at it. Whatever you do, don't go to God with it. Don't pray through it. Don't open up. Don't talk to your brothers and sisters. Don't do that. That's the easy way. Come on. Come on over here with me. And that's the path that leads to this bitterness and this cynicism towards God going, remember that time when I was at that choice and I went down the path and you never came through? See, in one hand, we have dangled before us that path that looks darker and gloomier and promises soothing now. But it is the path that ends in bitterness. But the other path that's held before us that is this difficult path when we're going through dark times of the soul, when you're going through pain and you're introspecting and you're going, God, are you ever going to show up? Are you ever going to answer my prayers? Are you ever going to do anything about that? When we open up about that to our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we open up about that to our uh, to God Almighty, when we open up about that in prayer, you ever prayed a frustrated prayer? Please tell me you pray frustrated prayers. I hope we've trained you to do that. Please tell me you pray prayers that are honest to God, saying, God, I do not trust you right now. Help me to learn how to trust you, but right now I can't even look at you because of how hurting I am. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Please tell me you do. If you've never gotten to that point, I would love to help you learn how to pray frustrated prayers because it is so freeing because that's when God gets to come alongside you and say, are you done yet? Let me show you something. We have that choice. And it is the most difficult thing in the world to do when you are pain, you are in pain and you are hurting, you think all is lost. It's the most difficult thing in the world to do to open up to each other and to come to God and say, God, this is horrible. What are you putting me through? But it is only in that choice, right? Only in that choice of turning our face towards God, turning our face towards His people, turning our face towards His Word, asking for His Holy Spirit to show us. It is only in that choice that light comes through. And we move through that dark night of the soul, that that adult darkness, that pain. It is only in trusting in the character and nature of God or learning how to trust in the character and nature of God or even throwing yourself at the possibility that there might be a God who's good out there. It is only in that that we come through this stuff. That path, that hard path, is the path towards life. It's the path towards destroying your self-reliance, which is... Ultimately, part of what got you in the dark, right? Like if you want to rewind this, when God takes away something that you were relying on, that's when the dark soul pain comes in, isn't it? And this moment where you turn away and you go, I don't want to trust myself anymore. That's, that's the whole point. That was the whole point. This moment's absolutely critical in grown-up darkness. It's this moment of choosing, will I trust? Will I go to Jesus? Will I go to God? Will I go to His people? Or will I stay in self-reliance and introspection trying to answer my own unanswerable questions?
But he doesn't stop here. Right? He talks about this. I, I will appeal to the years of the right hand. Right? I'm going to appear to this thing that appeal to this thing that happened in the past. This, this is what I'll do. I'll make this choice. I'm going to go back to the word and I'm going to go see what God has done. And then in verse 16 through 20, he says, The waters saw you, O God. He gets really specific on this point. And uh, Nick did a great job at Refuge talking about this point. He, it's in, in the book of Exodus. You can find it. Exodus 14, you just go there. You can read the story of how God showed up when the Israelites were between a rock and a hard place. Uh, actually, they were in between an army and, a, and death. Right? Like that's what they were, they were facing death in the waters or death by the army, either way. And in between death and death, God shows up and he says, Follow me. Follow me through death. Let me part the waters of death and let me, I'll just follow, I'm going to split death in half and you can follow me through that, right? Like a beautiful passage. And that's what he focuses on. The waters saw you, O oh God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. You see, it gets even more emotional and more image driven in this part of the poem. More imagery, trying to conjure up the power and the beauty of God and the fact that He lights up the sky with His, with His arrows of lightning and thunder cracks everywhere. And those times when you stand in the storm and you go, oh, wow, that's a big God. That's what He's going to. Uh, let's read a John Piper quote. Nobody stands in the face of a hurricane and holds up a mirror. Man, look at how great I am, right? You stand in the face of cataclysmic stuff, big, big, big stuff, and the faith, the heart of faith should look at God and say, how big is our God? His final section is a section about remembering what God did in the life of His people. Now this is a beautiful part. This is why we actually spend time praying for one another at church, because I think this is powerful, right? Like, we get to spend time, I get to spend time listening to the battles you are having. And then when I'm having my battles, I can come to you and go, hey, how did you get through that? And you can look at me and go, I have no idea. And I can be like, right? And But there's something in that that's beautiful, right? Something in that's absolutely beautiful. <coughs> but it's interesting, right? I will not go to uh, I will not go to some diatribe of a sermon that I preached four years ago or something like that to bring comfort. I will not run to my theology books in the middle of pain. I've never once done that. Man, I'm having a rough day. Need to read me some theology. Never once done that. I have lots of theology books. I pay money for them. I probably should maybe like comfort them. I've never once run to. Some sort of God as a concept. Who do I run to when I'm in pain? People? Hopefully God's people. And why don't I run to God Almighty as a person? This is the part where we need to finish up on, or we need to focus on. See, this is the problem is when we get into a dark night of the soul, right? And then we we have this pain, we have this adult darkness, and we go into this introspection, we start questioning God's character. Then we remember what He has done, and we remember that there's people out there. One of the biggest things we need to remember is we need to remember a time when God has come to us like a person. Have you ever had those moments where God has come to you as a person comes to you? I know I have. I can ultimately rewind my mind into oh, about 17 years ago. No, so I went through your 17, almost 18 years ago. 
Uh, I can remember God literally speaking to me through a book and through His uh, through His Word as I'm sitting in a Detroit airport running my own life and Him going, enough of that. Stop it. You're ruining everything. Knock it off. And just crushing my soul. I can remember that. Okay? I can remember simple prayers for my kids. Every night I I lay next to Jonas in his bed and we pray prayers. And this whole summer we were praying almost every night. We were praying, God, please give Jonas some friends when he goes into middle school this year. Please give Jonas some friends when he goes into middle school over and over and over again. And what happened? He starts going to an acting class. And all of a sudden he finds some friends there. And one of the friends happens to be going to his middle school in the same exact class. They have locker or they have lunch together every day. Right, And so I can remember God as a person going, I got this, I got this, I got this. Even just this week, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, even just this week, I was on my way to the chiropractor. Why? Because I'm injured and I finally said, after two years, I need to go to a doctor. So I settled for a witch doctor. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> no, I just I also got an MRI this week and so I'm going to figure it out. But yeah, I injured my shoulder, so... Um, and uh, I was learning about prayer. I'm reading this book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. If you uh, are into reading and you want to read it, it's actually the second time I've read the book, but I don't think my brain was working the first time I read the book because I'm like, man, I've never read this before, right? And, uh, but this book has been breathtaking, breathtaking, a book about prayer. And in this book about prayer, uh, Paul says this. He goes, hey, you go to experts for everything, right? Like you're going to go to a doctor if you're injured, unless you're a man. You're going to go to the, uh, you're going to go to the accountant if you have financial troubles, unless you're a man. You're going to go to, uh, you know, you're going to go to, uh, some sort of professional for almost everything. Why is it you don't ask God for advice? That one was like arrow right into the heart. I tell God what to do. I tell God what to do all of the time. God, please just do this for this person. God, please do this for this person. God, do this for this person. Can you please do this for me? I tell God what to do all the time, and I phrase it in asking, right? And so on the way to the chiropractor, I had this question rattling around, actually, about church buildings, right? I'm like, hey, God, we're getting pretty full, and, uh, you know, I like our dirty old space, but, you know, we got two years left on the lease, and we can sign back in here, but, you know, maybe it's time for us to go find a building or something like that, right? And so I'm like, God, would you uh, just tell me what you think of that? Could you tell me what you, like, what would my what would my people lose? What would our church lose if we got out of this space and went somewhere. Could you tell me that? That'd be great. And I got to the chiropractor, right? And he's like, <laughs> cracking everything up, right? And, uh, and as he's cracking me, he, find, he goes, so what, what church are you part of again? So well, I'm part of Common Ground Church, you know, downtown, right across from Armadillo's in the basement of the Creamery. Oh, that is a cool space. <laughs> I said, really? Because it has no windows, and routinely everybody's like, hey, it'd be nice if somebody dropped a grenade down there. And like something stupid like that, right? <laughs> I've heard that, just so you know, several times. Okay, anyways, shows the mind of the human, right? And I go, yeah, it smells like old bacon, and, you know, it's wonderful. And he goes, uh, yeah, but, you know, I was part of this church, and they spent like 10 or $12 million on a building. And I just don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I don't really go to church anymore, but it just seems to me like you could use God's money a little bit better. Right back to it, right? And I'm sitting there going, ah, yeah, okay, thank you, Lord. Yeah, right? you know, so, like, 
in the dark times, now this wasn't a dark time, this, is a, this was actually a great time, right? I wasn't having a bad day or anything like that, but now I can remember. I can go back to this and say, God, will you answer my prayers? Why is it that you aren't listening to me? You know, I can come and I can bring some accusations to God, right, in this whole thing. I can come and I can be frustrated with God, but ultimately when I get done with this introspection and I have this choice, I get to remember... Oh yeah, there was that one time you used that weird witch doctor to crack my neck and tell me something about faith. See, here's the real deal. If I don't train myself, if I don't help myself, if I don't tell myself, and I I know this sounds like a self-gospel, please just hold on real quick, okay? If I don't train myself in... To, to, in the darkness of my soul to say, I will trust and look at the character of God and I will struggle through it. Even if it means I get frustrated with God and I get angry with Him. Even if it means that it makes things darker and more difficult. Even if it means I have to walk away. Even if it means I have to focus on the pain. If I train myself to do that, as God trains me to do that, when I help myself do that, I take the path that leads towards life and away from a cold, dead, bitter, cynical faith that seems to be the thing that we have in our country. The truth of the matter is that I actually I have a choice. This is hard for me to say as a, as a guy who kind of leans towards Calvinism and Reformed thinking, right? Like, I have a choice. Take heart, O oh my soul, and praise the Lord. Lift up your voice, O my soul, right? Like, I'm not talking to two people, I'm talking to myself, but I have to command my soul. I'm not a victim to my soul and to my emotions. Millennials, you need to hear that. And the millennials and younger, you need to hear that. Just because you have an emotion does not mean that you can't command that. I just read some statistics that most people who are under the age of 30 believe that their emotions are dictated to them. The truth of the matter is I have a choice because otherwise I will end up stuck in that introspection state, taking the bitter path and ending up with a world of soul pain and growing up uh, and, and grown up darkness again and again and again. And it will simply lead me down the path of doing theology without heart, which leads to more darkness and more cynicism and more choice in that path. Right. And theology without heart is the devil's game. That's what he did all the way back in Genesis. It all starts there, Ray. All the way back in Genesis. What did Satan do? What did the serpent do? He started doing theology without an experience of the personal love of God. Theology without heart is the devil's game. Now I know you may be saying, oh yeah, Brian, you don't understand that the darkness, you just just don't understand the darkness I am in. To you I say, you're right, I don't. Nobody does but you. But it is on you to help us understand. Help us understand the darkness you are in so we can carry your burden. And so you can carry your own burden, just like Galatians tells us to do. Or you may be saying, oh yeah, that's a nice trick. You just got to try to convince yourself. I mean, I just slid into like my mom's accent right there. You may be saying, oh yeah, nice trick there. (laughs) Trying to convince yourself to have faith. No, I'm sorry. Courtney just stuck in my head. Now, yeah, you might be saying to yourself, well, that's a real nice trick, nice mind trick, right? Like trying to convince yourself just to have faith, making stuff up and making up these things that God did. That's a great mental trick. You don't understand how hard that is in the darkness. And to you, I say, you have also convinced yourself to not have faith. That is your mental trick. You actually have a real choice. 
You're not a victim to a depraved mind that allows you to... That you're not a victim that just, that just can't make a choice. If you're in darkness, make the choice to come to God and let me or those here help you. Turn to God and He will turn to you. Turn your face towards God Almighty and He will turn His face towards you. Or you may be saying, the darkness is who I am. There's that response too. The darkness is who I am. It's where I'm comfortable. I love it. I want to stay in it. I'm a cynic. That's what makes me who I am. What makes me smart. What protects me from people. It keeps me theologically adept. But yet I don't have to give my heart to anyone or anything. To you, I can simply say, yeah, the darkness can be comforting. But I will tell you that living in the light is much better. And you knew that when you were a kid. It's so much more difficult to live in the light, though, when adult darkness comes in. But I will tell you, living in the light, the reason we come to the light and we're afraid of the dark is because there's joy in the light. And God wants to march you through the darkness, being your light. So today, here's the beautiful thing. We get to celebrate the choice that you have. You get to really make a choice to get up out of your seat. You get to really make a choice to come down here and to lay your sin at the foot of the cross. You get to really make a choice to say, yes, things are dark, but I will stand in the light. I will do whatever it takes to come to the light. I will run to the light even though it may get darker still. You get to make that choice and come to the table and say, Jesus, when you were in the dark, you prayed. If you could take this from me, that'd be great. But not your will. Or not my will, but your will be done. That's a bad place to reverse things. Jesus was in the dark just like you were, right? And he had this powerful moment where he could have done some serious theology, but he had heart. And he said, I don't want this. If there's any way you can do this, take it from me, right? There's a theological statement, right? There's any way you can stop me from suffering, you can do it. Snap your finger, stop some suffering. If you want to try to tackle that question, I know a good place you can get a master's degree doing it, so... But that question, if there's any way you can take this suffering from me, I know you can do it, but not my will, your will be done. That is theology with heart. That's the choice in the darkness. Can't divorce that Jesus made that choice. I don't know what would happen had he not, if he could have. I don't know. I mean, that's theology as well. I'm not going to do that without an experience. I'm just going to say, Father, that's your will. Today you get the chance to take a step to come to God and say, I will remember you. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You get a chance to be able to say that. You get a chance to say, I will diligently search for you and for the times you've shown up in my life. I will pay attention to where you are speaking to me, even if it's through some weirdo chiropractor. I will pay attention to the times that you speak to me and I will remember those. This is your choice. This is your chance to come to the light. And if you've never come to a place where you have given your life to Jesus, where you've said, everything's dark and I'm doing this on my own and it's not not working, I will tell you what God told me a long, long time ago through the power of His Word and through the power of a book I was reading at the same time. Stop it. It's my best advice to you. Stop it. Come to the cross and tell Jesus that you want to stop it and you want Him to take over.
So we're going to pray and we're going to have the worship team come up. They're going to lead through a couple of songs and we're going to, uh, we're going to partake at the table. We get to, we get to do this together. And if there's somebody here that you need to talk to or somebody here that maybe you've got darkness in your life and you don't know, have courage. Find somebody here that you know and just say, hey, can you pray for me before we take communion together? Can you pray for me in this situation before we go take communion together? Can you pray for me after church? Can you come to me and or can, can I come to you and can we pray for this whole thing together? Don't carry that stuff on your own anymore. Lord Jesus, we come before you. And Lord, I do not want to miss the fact that we can only come to you because you first loved us. We can only love you because you first loved us. And we can only love each other because of the love that you have given us. Lord, First John says that you are love. And that apart from you, we can't love anybody. And that as we do love each other, though, Lord, as we do come to each other, as we do reach out to each other and cry out to you and hold up faith and walk experientially with the living, 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 risen Savior. Lord, as we come to You in spirit and in truth, Your love is made manifest and Your, your own person is made manifest in, in our midst as we see You and see the change that You have made inside of us and inside of Your body. Lord, we are Yours. And so I pray that You would knit us together in this time of communion. We're having communion with You, but we're doing this as a community and communion with one another. So I pray that You would mold us together, that You would make us more like Your Son. And that as we come to You in spirit and in truth, You will well up in us a heart of worship that makes the choice and says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Lord, change us. We love You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.